If you will, turn in your Bible to back to Romans chapter 12. And so I've got some good news. After a lot of sermons out of Romans 12, we're going to preach the final concluding sermon of this chapter this morning and then head into chapter 13 next week. And uh, if you were here back uh, a couple of weeks prior to the election, you remember that we have already preached uh, a good portion of Romans 13 as that deals with the government and how we as Christians should respond to the government in our life and what the scripture has to say about God and government. And so uh, we'll jump, I believe, down around verse 10 or 11 into Romans 13 uh, beginning next week. But uh, this morning we finally come to the, the conclusion of chapter 12. Remember, Romans is basically broken up into two main sections. It is chapter 1 through 11, which uh, Paul tells us what God has done through Christ Jesus in bringing us to salvation. So it gives us the doctrine of our salvation. And then, or, or what, uh, if you're reading the cross-centered life with us, we read this past week about our justification, that act by which God through the work of Christ, declares those who believe in Him to be as righteous as Jesus uh, through a process called justification. And justification simply can be defined as just as if I had never sinned because the moment you and I uh, believe, we are justified in that moment. We are given the right, righteousness of Christ. And when God looks at us, He sees Christ's righteousness. He sees us as perfect. Uh, even though in our practice we are not yet perfect. And that's where Romans chapter 12, chapter 12 through chapter 16 comes in because Paul wants to show us that now that we've experienced this great salvation, that uh, we now begin to work out what God has worked in uh, through salvation. And so this morning we are coming to the close at least of this section of uh, chapter 12, but uh, we are going to continue on looking at uh, uh, all that Paul continues to say about this process of becoming more Christ-like. And really, Romans 12 is just a beautiful portrait. If you want to know what should I look like, what should my life, uh, what should I be doing with my life as a Christian, what, what kind of behavior should be flowing out of my life as a follower of Christ, then Romans chapter 12, uh, especially verses 9 through 21, uh, give us that, that clear, distinctive portrait of, uh, of the Christian life. And so this morning we find ourselves uh, down in verse 17. Now, let me, before we read the text, let me, let me lay some groundwork here. Uh, I'm speaking this morning on a subject about which I almost have zero experience doing right when wrong now i've had many instances over the years where people did things that were wrong to me but rarely anything traumatic rarely anything traumatic however some listening to me this very day have suffered traumatic wrongs such as parental abuse Spousal abuse, spousal infidelity, fraud, theft, violent crime, 
and some even trauma while serving our country. John Piper, uh, in a sermon entitled, Do Not Avenge Yourselves, But Give Place to, uh, to Wrath, tells a story that I want to share with you this morning before we read our text. It's a story of a, a man named Graham uh, Steins. In, 19, in January 1999, Graham, uh, excuse me, Staines is his name, Graham Staines and his son, two sons, Philip 10 and Timothy 5, 6, were mobbed by a radical group of Hindus, trapped inside their vehicle in the country of India, and burned alive. The three charred bodies were recovered, clinging to each other. Graham Staines had spent 30 Four years serving the people of India in the name of Jesus. And he just, he just wasn't a, uh, a missionary there preaching the gospel message. He was literally there putting the, both the physical and the spiritual needs of people, uh, of working with people in both meeting their spiritual need, which is everyone's most important need, their spiritual need, but he was also there to work with those who were in desperate physical need. You see, Graham Staines worked for 34 years at the leprosy mission. He worked with the outcast of society. He worked with the literal, literally, he worked with the lowest of the low. He worked with the ostracized. He worked with those who had been given a death sentence. No cure, no hope, no dignity. He left behind his widow Gladys and daughter Esther. Gladys' response was in every paper in India to the glory of Christ. She said a few days after the martyrdom of her husband and sons, this is her quote in the newspaper. I have only one message for the people of India. I am not bitter, neither am I angry. But I have one great desire, that each citizen of this country should establish a personal relationship with Jesus Christ who gave his life for their sins. Let us burn hatred and, and spread the flame of Christ's love. End quote. Everyone thought that Gladys and Esther would move back to their native country of Australia. However, they decided not to. They said that God had called them to India and that they would not leave. Gladys said, My husband and our children have sacrificed their lives for this nation. India is my home. I hope to be here and continue to serve the needy. Then, perhaps most remarkable of all, listen to this, especially those of you who are children and teenagers. Esther was quoted in the newspaper. This 13-year-old young lady who had just lost her 10-year-old and 6-year-old brother and her father at the hands of radical Muslims said these words. 
I praise the Lord that he found my father worthy to die for him. Mm. How do you explain that? That's what we might call a God thing. A similar thing happened in 2007 in Turkey where Islamic militants, and I said earlier those were Muslims, those were actually Hindu uh, militants, not Muslim militants there in India. But in 2007 in Turkey, there was a group of uh, Islamic militants who mutilated and murdered a German missionary by the name of Tillman, a father of three and two Turkish believers of whom had two young children. Tillman's widow also publicly forgave the murderers and vowed to continue their work in Turkey. When we read the words that we're about to read from Romans chapter 12, verses 17 through 21, this is what is in view. This is the lifestyle that we're called to live. Not, not, again, let me, let me say this. Not called to consider, but called to live. You may say, well, Brother Jason, I'm not sure I could respond to those stories in the way that those people responded. That seems to be an unusual grace that God has given those folks. And all I can say to you is that there are times in my life where I've often wondered how I might react if placed in a certain situation. And here's what I can tell you. If you are walking with the Lord, there are moments and times in your life where God will give you an unusual grace to live an unusual lifestyle. Do you remember what Jesus said to, uh, back in Matthew 10 when he's sending them, the disciples out two by two? And he says, don't worry if you're brought before the leaders and what you might say. Because in that moment, the Spirit will tell you what to say. You see, what Jesus was saying is that there are parts of life that we may not think that we're ready to handle. But yet if we make ourselves ready as much as we possibly can through our understanding and, 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 and through the teaching of His Word, God often gives unusual grace for unusual actions. Romans chapter 12. Let's read it. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to what? The wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, 
feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing this, you will heat burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. This morning, if I was in the, in, 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 uh, in the school of preaching, they, they train you to have what's called the 2 a.m. response. You know what the 2 a.m. response is? Is if your church member calls you at 2 a.m. in the morning, and please, unless someone has died or you are on the verge of death, do not call me at 2 a.m. But if your church member called you at 2 a.m. and said, Preacher, I'm not going to make it to church in the morning. What's the sermon about? You could give them the 2 a.m. answer. It's really what we call the big idea. So if someone, so if you left today and, and somebody is talking to you, how was church today? Oh, it was great. Music was great. Preaching was, it's what it is. You know, we, we got what we got. We'll go with that. Um, well, what did the preacher preach about? Well, this is what you would tell them. The mercies of God enable us to do right to those who have wronged us by leaving all vengeance to God. The mercies of God. Remember, we, we take that right, right out of chapter 12, verse 1. Remember, Chapter 12 through 16, all of our activity is built out of our experience of the mercies of God. So we have, those that have experienced the mercies of God, these mercies enable us to do right to those who have wronged us by leaving, key word here, all vengeance to God. All vengeance to God. As with the previous verses that we preached, verses 14 through 16, the thread of selfishness and self-denial runs through our next text. Listen, here's Paul's aim, okay? I don't know if this is in your notes. I can't remember if I put this in the notes or not. Hopefully it is. If not, write down Philippians 1.20. This is, when Paul writes, this is Paul's, this is his expectation of what's going to happen in what he writes. As it is, my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now, as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or death. It's a great verse to make your life verse. With full courage, now, as always, that Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. Our desire should be that our enemy would come to know the same mercy and grace that we found at the cross. And so rather than responding to the evil done against us with evil or with vengeance... We are commanded to respond with what? Radical love. 
And not only radical love, but the radical love of Christ that overcomes evil with good. The world says what? Don't get mad. Get even. Don't get mad. Get even. An eye for an eye. A tooth for a tooth. Get your pound of flesh. Oh, but what does Jesus say? Because that really, that's all that matters. It doesn't matter what the world says. It doesn't matter what your neighbor says. It doesn't even matter what you think. What, what matters is, what does Jesus tell His people to do? But I say to you who hear. Anybody here listening this morning? Yeah? You, that, that, you know, that's a good prayer to pray when you walk into the sanctuary. Lord, today, give me ears to hear. Because I can be dull of hearing. But I say to you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you. The wrong response to being wrong is to pay back with wrong. <laughs> the wrong response to being wrong, wronged is to pay back with wrong. Paul says this three times in the verses that we read. So let's just hit them one more time. Look at it. Repay no one for evil for evil, but what? Give thought, to, give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. Down in verse 19, he says, Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord, not yours. Then down in verse 21, he says, Do not be overcome with evil, but overcome evil with good. And just so you don't think that Paul only wrote this to the Roman believers, he wrote it to the church at Thessalonica, which was a great church, as a matter of fact, this church is the only church that Paul writes about out of all the churches that he writes to where he says, this church is the model church. I mean, he tells all the other churches, Ephesus, uh, Corinth, uh, uh, Philippi, uh, Laodicea, all of Thyatira, all these churches that Paul helped to found. Out of all of those churches, Paul only says of one church, you are the model church. Every church ought to be like you. And look what he says to this model church. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil. But what? Always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Anybody want to guess why he says do good to one another and to everyone? Why doesn't he just say do good to everyone? Why one another and then to everyone? You know who the one another are? That's us, the believers. He says, look, do good to the family of God, but also do, do good to everyone outside the family of God. And in case you thought Paul is the only New Testament writer who writes about this subject, we have Peter, and look at what Peter says. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. For this, for to this you were called. Uh-oh. You, you, you see what I mean by this, this, this is not something you get to consider? This is something that you were what? You're called to do this. 
David doesn't get it. I mean, when David's wrong, he doesn't get to sit around in his lazy boy uh, trying to figure out, well, am I, gonna, am I going to bless them and do good to them, or am I going to take revenge? He, 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 I mean, he might do that, but the, the bottom line is, in the end, he doesn't get the option of repaying. Because if he does, he runs contrary to the very profession of faith that he claims to have. What has to overcome us in that moment is those very words. For this you were called. And you say, well, I don't like that. Well, maybe you're just not a Christian. Maybe Christianity is not for you. You ever wonder why Jesus said, count the cost? Before you sign up, count the cost. Who, who goes to war without first considering the cost? Who starts a building project without first considering the cost, right? What does Jesus say? Th there's an aspect of Christianity that, hey, yes, getting, getting in on Team Jesus is free admission. But once you're on the team, the yearly subscription is everything. It's everything. Freedom is never free. It always costs somebody something to give other people freedom, right? The reason why we celebrate our military, why? Is because people sacrifice their lives so that you could have freedom. And guess what? As a Christian, Christ sacrificed his life so that you could have freedom. Not freedom to do what you want to do, but freedom to do what you're supposed to do. That's what freedom is. And that's what we've been free to do. John Calvin points out that returning evil for evil may not be uh, as severe as seeking revenge, but it's still forbidden. For example, your husband snaps unkindly at you, and you respond by being cold and not speaking to him. You aren't plotting revenge, but you're surely not blessing him. Y'all notice my wife's not here today. So you had to pick and choose when, when I use certain illustrations. Not that she would ever do that to me, nor has she ever done that to me. Not at least in the last couple of weeks. You aren't plotting revenge, but you're surely not blessing. You're, you're returning evil for evil when you do that. Or if someone makes a cutting rem remark and you try to counter it, even in jest. Oh, you know what I love? I love when people say something that they really mean and they say, I didn't really mean that. What a cover-up. Oh, I didn't mean that. That's the world we live in today. People say stuff and then they come back on TV, right? Especially famous people. Oh, I didn't really mean it that way. Yes, you did. Yes, you did. Out of the abundance of the heart, the what? The mouth speaks. I, look, if you will be quiet long enough to listen to people, people will tell you the deepest, darkest secrets of their heart. Why? Because you talk out of your heart, not out of your head. So when you say something, don't say, oh, I didn't mean that. Oh, you... Own it, you meant it, confess it. What a wicked person I am. 
Oh, how much more, how, you know, just admit I'm not where I'm supposed to be, and I hate that that comes out of my mouth, but that's what's really in my heart. You know what? The, the, if you'll bring that, that nastiness out into the light, it'll die. But as long as you cover it up and say, that's not really who I am, this ain't even in a sermon, okay? So we, we're off script here for a minute. Then here's what's happening. You're just letting sin continue to fester because you won't expose it in the light and own up to your sin and kill it right then and right there. Like the, like the, the guy that I heard on TV yesterday who made some kind of racial slur at a basketball game. He didn't know the microphone was on, and he used this racist uh, uh, slur. Well, he comes back on and issues this statement uh, about how sorry he was for the racial slur that he used. And you know what he blamed it on? That he's a, that he's a diabetic and his sugar was low, and that at times when his sugar gets low, he says stuff he doesn't really mean. Hogwash. That is, I hope he's not a Christian. And if he is, I hope his pastor just sets him straight when he sees him and just tells him, you know what? Your apology was worse than the crime that you committed. Own it. You're a racist. You may not be full-blown, but you got racism in your heart. Own it. And repent it so it, so it can die. But as long as you protect it and pet it, and coddle it, and, and, and you don't call it what it is, it will thrive and live in your heart. Now, I don't know who that's for, but that's for somebody, because it, it didn't make the sermon notes. So I don't know, somebody watching online, somebody here, that's for you. You may say, well, you've been reading my mail, preacher. No, that's the Lord reading your mail, and he just dropped it on in my mailbox this morning and said, go ahead and get this on out. We need to deliver the mail today. I got a feeling we all needed to hear that, myself included. Revenge, which goes a step beyond returning evil for evil, is motivated by pride. Revenge which goes a step beyond returning evil for evil, is motivated by pride. Someone's sinful actions against us wound our pride, so we want to get even. Why? Because we want to restore honor and dignity. Many cultures around the world are driven by these honor codes. One family or tribe offends another, and uh, so the offended party retaliates by inflicting their revenge. What's funny about going to Haiti, if you ever get a chance, hopefully we're going to do a trip back to Haiti uh, in the next, between now and next summer. We're going to get a team and go back down to Haiti. We went 13 times inside of 10 years. Um, it's about time that, that we go back. Um, but here's what I learned about Haiti. You don't see police driving around Haiti. Now, the UN is there to try to keep peace. But they're not even respected by the Haitians, really. And I, and I asked the missionary, I said, well, do they have police? Oh, yeah, they have police. I said, well, where are the police? Well, you see them every now and then. I said, well, how do they keep law and order? <laughs> he said, they don't need the police to keep law and order. And while we were there on one particular trip, uh, one young man had been attacked by a... Uh, uh, 
a guy. Been beat up pretty bad. It was pretty vicious. And uh, Bill had this meeting, had to, this meeting with the family of the young man that was attacked. And uh, they were believers, and they were affiliated with the, uh, the, the ministry of Good Shepherd. And Bill was having this conversation, and he's basically taking these people through Romans 12, 17 through 21, about, no, you are a believer. We don't do, you do not take vengeance. Because they had already called the war party together, and they were ready to go and exact vengeance, a mano a mano, on, on, that, on that particular guy. And what I learned is, see, Bill said, we don't need the police because they handle their own business. And Bill says, if you take a life, your life gets taken. You beat somebody up, you get beat up in return. It's eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. And here's Bill trying to implore these professing Christians that this is not the way Christians behave. Even though it is the way that their culture is. Because what does the culture say? The culture saying if this happens, you've got to save face. You've got to be motivated by pride to save face. So what do you have to do? You've got to go return evil for evil. Now let me ask you a question. In a culture like that, how mind-blowing would it be if those people chose not to show, not to return evil for evil, but to do their enemy good? I'm gonna tell you that works in any culture. Because it's, we may not be as we may not be as vile as they could be in Haiti, but listen. If there, were, if there were very few restraints here, some of you would go take your vengeance out on somebody else. I mean, those people aren't worried about going to jail. They're not worried about going to prison. And how many of you would have taken your vengeance, and the only thing that kept you from taking your vengeance is you don't look good in orange? Or you wouldn't do good in prison. That was the only thing that restrained you. It wasn't your faith. It was the fear of jail. So we're not too far off from them. We just got some restraints curbing our actions that they don't necessarily have. All right, I've got to move on quick. So let me just give you quick four reasons why revenge is wrong. Let's, 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 let's kind of bust through these real quick. Number one is revenge runs contrary to what society deems right. And all these come from the text. Revenge runs co contrary to what society deems right. Look back at verse 17. It's going to be on the screen as well. Notice the end of it. Give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. Not just Christians, but in the, in, in, in the sight of the entirety of the culture. You see, our laws prohibit vigilante justice where one person takes it upon himself to right some perceived wrong. And while we sometimes chuckle at the absurd extremes that people uh, take to get revenge, at least our culture usually knows that their behavior is wrong. What are the best action movies? What's at the heart of the best action movies? Revenge. It starts out, there's a happy family, tragedy strikes, 
some evil person comes in, kidnaps, kills, maims uh, one of the family members, and then the rest of the movie is all about how this man, woman, this vigilante is empowered by justice to go and to, and to seek revenge on their assailant. And we cheer it on. We want them to die. We want them to be killed. We can't believe the heinousness of, uh, of what they have done. Oh, come on, you know it. How many times have you watched a movie or a TV show and the villain is so evil and so over the top that you just couldn't wait for justice to be served? You couldn't wait for that person to take them out. And the whole time you're thinking, boy, if it was me, this is the way I would kill them. I hope they kill them good. I hope they make them suffer. I hope they pull their fingernails and their toenails out. I want them to waterboard them. I want them to string them up to where they're almost dead and then drop them and then string them up again. And all the ways that we come up with ways to kill people. And you love it. And so do I. And that ought to sadden our hearts. And you said, boy, we, that wouldn't leave a whole lot to watch, would it? Because you can't really make movies that people will watch where the end of the story is not is uh, uh, do good to your enemy and it sell a lot of movie tickets or get good ratings on, on TV. Why? Because... Vigilante seemed to be more of what we love. We don't want to see evil people done right. We want to see evil people suffer. Mm. Next. Revenge does not promote peace, but incites men to hostilities. Look at Romans 12, 18. Revenge does not promote peace, but incites men to hostility. If possible, so far it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Vengeance does not lead to peace, but further vengeance. Why? Because it keeps a vicious cycle going. Third, revenge usurps a task which belongs only to God. Look at verse 19. Leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. Did you know that you are incompetent to carry out vengeance? Hmm? Did you know that? You're incompetent. Because... We cannot know all the motives and circumstances that lie behind a pers person's wrongful actions towards us. Besides, our emotions get involved and cloud our judgment. Only God knows all things, and only He is competent to judge. This is, this is my favorite line from the whole sermon right here. Highlight it, circle it. It's, it's, in the, it's on that note sheet. This is what you need to remember right here. Only God can pay back because only He knows how much to pay back. That's why you're incompetent. You don't really know how much that person deserves to get paid back. Only God does. Only He knows. You know what? You may go after, you may be a vigilante and go after and try to 
exact justice, and guess what? Your justice would fall short of what really that person deserved. Only God knows. Only God can take that.